This is Focus on God's Word with Pastor Danny Milenkov. Welcome to the fourth episode in this series on Noah. Noah, another storm is coming. And today's message is entitled Crumbling Foundation. So wherever you are joining us, whether it be somewhere here in Australia, the land down under, or somewhere around the world, I want to give you a very warm welcome. And I am so glad that you have chosen to spend this time in God's Word with us here on Focus on God's Word. I want to welcome and thank the audience here at 3ABN Australia for being here as we, as we share in God's Word together. It's always a privilege to see smiling, happy faces. Continue to keep smiling and looking up because Jesus is coming soon. Amen? amen and amen. And that is why we are in this series together, because Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, and he also mentioned the days of Lot, so it will be just before he returns. And I am coming under stronger conviction day by day that Jesus is indeed coming very, very soon. And in this particular message, as we take a look at crumbling foundations, we will discover how close we indeed are to the sound of the trumpet. We want to take a look at the three key points that we have been looking at each and every time um, we have been in this series together that give us the overall importance of why we are studying this message together. Firstly, the story of Noah clearly identifies the earth's final generation. Secondly, it enables us to know and understand how we can be ready when the Son of Man returns. And thirdly, and I believe most important of all, it provides instruction on how we can prepare others for Jesus' soon return. So how many of you want to be ready for the coming of Jesus? Yes. Amen. How many of you want to prepare others for the coming of Jesus? Amen. You're at the right place. You're at the right place. So let's pray before we plunge into God's word together. Father in heaven, we have yet another important study in your word together. As we examine the, the days of Noah in particular, and as we also take a look briefly at the days of Lot, Father, we ask and pray that you will open our hearts and our minds as we open up your holy word, that we may indeed not only understand the times that we are living in, but more importantly, how we ought to respond, how we ought to respond. So bless us now, we pray through your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, I want to begin by sharing with you that I take no credit in some of the things that I'm going to share with you. As in the parallels from creation to the days of Noah to our day. God has given me these wonderful and blessed insights. So I give all the glory to him. In case you're wondering, where did Danny get these ideas from? I didn't get them in any book. I didn't hear them in any sermon. Uh, the Lord impressed me uh, with what I'm about to share with you. So some of this will be brand new. Well, I think it'll be brand new for most, if not all of you and those who are watching. So I want to give you an overall, uh, an overall landscape or aeroplane view of where we'll be going in this message. Firstly, we're going to take a look at the war over God's three Edenic blessings. We're going to discover that God gave the, the human race. He gave the world three blessings at the beginning of time when he created this world. 
Firstly, in Eden, God blessed humanity with three precious blessings. We're going to discover what they are in just a moment. Over the next 1600 years, Satan's influence upon humanity was responsible for destroying all three of these blessings. And isn't that just like the devil? As I pointed out in our previous presentation, whose name is Evil with a capital D. Isn't this just like the devil who Jesus described as one who has come only to steal, kill and what? And destroy. That's in John 10, 10. Whereas Jesus says, I've come to give them life and give them a more abundant life. So whilst Jesus is in the business of giving us the abundant life, the enemy is seeking to take that away. And so there's no surprises there. So after the flood, as we continue, after the flood, through Noah and his family, God restored all three blessings to the all three blessings to humanity. We'll discover that. But is Satan done? Is he willing to let go now that God's people and that the world may enjoy God's three Edenic blessings? No, Satan did not waste any time in seeking to once again destroy and dismantle God's precious blessings to the human family. His attack would climax in the period the Bible refers to as the time of the end. That's the last 200 years or so that we have been living in. The period immediately prior to the coming of Jesus. However, however, that's not the end of the story. However, God will once again have a faithful Noah generation at the end of time that will remain true to and wholly embrace his Edenic blessings. And may I add, share them with the world. So what are these three Edenic blessings that God blessed the world with? When God created this world, it was a beautiful world. Filled with, filled with everything that was to provide uh, joy and happiness and, and peace and love. In fact, Eden, Eden, the, 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 the word Eden means pleasure and delight. You know what the word garden means in Hebrew? It means to be enclosed. So you put those two words together, garden of Eden. God's plan for the human race was for him to enclose his precious people, the animals, everything in this garden filled with pleasure and delight. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that just like God? Well, let's take a look at God's three blessings. And God's three blessings are these that he gave to the human race at creation on day five, day six and day seven. At creation, God blessed the animals, all the animals, as we'll discover. He blessed marriage and the family and he blessed the seventh day. Now, if we go to the scriptures there in Genesis, in Genesis chapter one, verse 22, we read these words. And God did what? He blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. This is on day five. God blessed the fish and he blessed the birds. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. That word blessed appears for the first time there in that passage in Genesis 1:22. The second time the word blessed appears is in Genesis 1:28. It says, "Then God blessed them, that is Adam and Eve, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth." And before we before we unpack this briefly, the blessing was also in association with the land animals that God created on day six. Why is that? That's because they were given the command as the fish and the birds to be fruitful and what? 
and multiply so they receive the same blessing. It's implied, even though it's not directly stated. But here in this passage, God is specifically blessing marriage and the family. And the third blessing, the third time that word blessed appears in the creation narrative is here in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. We read, And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Verse 3, Then God did what? He blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had made and created and made. So here we have God's three blessings. At creation, all the animals were blessed and all of creation, you could say, all of creation was blessed because in order for the animals to be able to be fruitful and multiply, they need to be surrounded by the right environment. Isn't that right? In order for humans to, to, to grow and develop and for humans to, to enjoy that, that love and that grace that God had poured out on the human family in the Garden of Eden, this, this garden of pleasure and delight, they also need to have the right environment. So that's absolutely critical. And God blessed the seventh day Sabbath. Well, let's take a look at this first blessing. Let's take a look at this first blessing. The first blessing of God blessing the animals and nature. After the flood, when God recreated this world, I guess, well, he didn't recreate this world as he created it at the beginning of creation. It was a different world, a very different world. But I believe God had his hand upon this world even so, as the dust settled, or should I say, as the mud settled (laughs) after the flood. In Genesis 8, verse 17, notice what God tells Noah. Genesis 8, verse 17, God says to Noah, after the flood, he's, 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 he's walked out of the ark with his family, and God says to him, bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be what? fruitful and multiply on the earth. So God gives the very same command to Noah that he gave at the very beginning of time to the animals when he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. So God is seeking seeking to restore that blessing from Eden. Now, the animals and the environment did very well, or should I say at least reasonably well from the days of Noah, after the flood, all the way through up until the last 200 years. In the last 200 years, we have the advent of the industrial what? The industrial age or the industrial revolution. We have a time of population explosion. We have a time of tremendous pressure on the environment and especially on the animals. We have meat eating becoming stock standard around the world. And so we've got a lot of people. We've almost got 8 billion people, as we've discovered, living in this world that are eating more and more flesh. Now, you may not know this, but I discovered that livestock farming takes up nearly 80% of global agricultural land. 80%, yet only produces 20% of our calories, 20% of the world's calories for 80% of the land. In fact, I discovered 
that prior to the Industrial Revolution some 200 years ago, 15% of this world's surface, I should say land surface, was made up of rainforest, 15%. Today, rainforests make up 6% of our total world surface. Today, we are doing a great job in destroying our environment, destroying the animals. God said in Revelation eleven eighteen that he would destroy those who destroy the earth. Today, we are destroying the earth like at no other time in human history. In fact, young people, if you ask young people aged 18 to 35, what is their greatest concern? What is their greatest concern? You know what it is? It's the environment. And rightly so. The environment. They care about the environment. That's the most important thing for them as young people because they're starting out. They're wondering what kind of future are we going to have? What kind of future are our children going to have? And without getting into the whole debate, God has given us as his people very specific instructions to take care of the environment. We have sadly misunderstood and misinterpreted the words that God shared with Adam and Eve at the very beginning of time when he, when, he, when he gave them very clear instructions on how they were to deal with the environment that God blessed them with. Notice these words in Genesis 1, verse 26 and 28. We read, Then God said, he's speaking to, he's speaking to, to, to Adam and Eve, Let us, sorry, God is speaking amongst uh, himself, but he's giving instructions to Adam and Eve as well. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And in verse 28, we read very similar words. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Dominion. Dominion does not mean dominate. Dominion does not mean exploit. Dominion does not mean abuse. Notice what that word dominion means. I was going through this passage in my Andrews Study Bible and I came across this uh, very insightful um, comment and, um, and unpacking of this term dominion. Notice, the term that is dominion does not speak of exploiting the natural world, but rather of sharing, but rather of share in the divine rule given to humanity because they are created in God's image and are thus capable of distinguishing between exploitation and stewardship. So what are we to do? We are to be caretakers. We are stewards. We, we, are, we are responsible from God. He has given us that responsibility to take care of the environment. Now, does that mean that, that we still need to go ahead and, and cut down trees in order to build homes? Absolutely. Absolutely. To, to, to clear land in order to have gardens and so on and so forth. Yes, we need to do all that. But there's a big difference between using responsibly what God has given us and exploiting it as we have. So that's a little on where we are today. And how the enemy is seeking to destroy that first blessing from Eden. And he's been doing a great job, don't you agree? Especially in the last couple of hundred years. Let's take a look at the second blessing now. The second blessing. The second blessing from Eden is in relation to marriage and the family. 
In the previous message, we discovered that Satan destroyed marriage in the family before creation. Sorry, before the flood. He destroyed marriage and the family. And as a result, wickedness, violence, and so on and so forth pervaded our world. Notice what God says to Aaron. Sorry, to Aaron. Notice what God says to Noah after the flood. In Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 and 6 and 7, we read these words. So God blessed Noah. There's that word again, blessed, and his sons. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We continue reading. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And verse 7. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. So what was God's message to Noah? God's message to Noah was the same message that God gave to Adam and Eve. To be fruitful and multiply. And he reminded them of the sacredness of life, the sacredness of not only humans, but also animal life. And he said, you as human beings have been made in my image. Human life is precious, very, very precious. Marriage in the family is the very foundation of a society. But sadly, today we are experiencing the the dismantling and the disintegration of the family unit. Don't you agree? It's absolutely crystal clear. And especially since the period of the time of the end and especially after World War II in particular. In our first message, we discovered that the breakdown of the family unit led to wickedness, evil, violence, and corruption. I want to take a look at that word corrupt. Have a look at Genesis 6 verses 11 and 12. Genesis 6, 11 and 12. And this is what we read. The earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. Notice, corruption leads to violence. So God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. This is fascinating. We have this word corrupt. Now we've heard the word corrupt. Often it's used in relation to politicians. Yes, you are correct. But what does this word actually mean? Once again, back to the Andrews Study Bible. A wonderful, a wonderful note here from the scholars of this wonderful Bible. Notice the term. Corrupt is used to indicate something that is no longer fit for or intended use. And there's a couple of scriptures given there. The cause of this corruption is violence, which is often associated with, notice, social injustice, and scriptures are given, or the incapacity to distinguish between the sacred and the profane. Well, isn't that an interesting insight? So we have here this word corrupt, and it represents social injustice, And it represents not being able to distinguish between the sacred and the profane. And it leads to violence. Here's an interesting insight from once again, Patriarchs and Prophets, where Ellen White under inspiration writes these words more than a century ago. She writes, polygamy had been early introduced contrary to the divine arrangement at the beginning. And we read about that in a previous message. 
The Lord gave to Adam one wife, showing his order in that respect. But after the fall, men chose to follow their own sinful desires. And as a result, crime and wretchedness rapidly increased. Neither the marriage relation nor the rights of property were respected. Whoever coveted the wives or the possessions of his neighbor took them by force and men exulted in their deeds of violence. They delighted in destroying the life of animals and the use of flesh for food rendered them still more cruel and bloodthirsty until they came to regard human life with astonishing indifference. Wow. So here we have, here we have immorality and violence going hand in hand, hand in hand. Marriage and the family was disregarded and violence followed. That's just how it goes. And we're going to discover that more and more as we go along. Now, what does God have to say about marriage? Let's go to the words of Jesus, straight to the words of Jesus. Notice what Jesus had to say, and he reflects on the creation account. Notice these words, Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 to 6. And he, that is Jesus, answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And verse six. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, notice these words. While God has joined together, let not man what? Separate. Jesus here is saying what God puts together, what God blesses. You have no business and you would be absolutely foolish to mess with that. Why? Because as goes the family unit, so goes society. I have discovered in my, in my short life here on earth, the further I move away from God's principles, the more harm, the more sorrow and sadness I cause, not only in my life, but more importantly, in the lives of those around me. God has given us a template. He's given us a GPS how best we can live our lives in, 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 a, in a way of peace and happiness and joy and prosperity. And the further we move away from His original divine plan, the more problems, the more sorrow we cause ourselves. So that's what Jesus had to say about marriage and family. Notice what the Apostle Paul says about marriage. He says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Wow, what a powerful admonition to husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? Well, Paul goes on and he says he gave himself for the church. Imagine as husbands, we put our wives first above and beyond our own needs and our own expectations for ourselves. What a difference that would make. Amen. That would make a huge difference if we thought of them before ourselves. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, we read these words. Marriage is honorable among all and the bed is undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. To sum it all up, marriage is holy and sacred it is the most important God-ordained human institution that ensures for a stable and prosperous society. So let's take a close look at marriage. 
It was God's plan at the beginning of time. It was God's plan when he repeated that command and that instruction to Noah and his family. And marriage and the family has been doing reasonably well up until when? The last 200 years. In particular, since World War II came to an end and we have the advent of mass media, the television and now the internet. So let's take a look at marriage and the family in the last little while. Well, today we have almost half of those, sadly, who say, I do, come to the point where they say, I no longer do. Very sad. Today, marriage has been redefined. Redefined. It's no longer the biblical mandate that God gave at the very beginning of time between one man and one woman with the exclusion of all others. Isn't that right? Now it's been redefined in many parts of the world, including our own country. Intimate relationships today can be what you want them to be. Whatever works for you, whatever floats your boat is okay. You make it up as you go. You make it up as you go. I found it fascinating to take a look at some statistics from the Australian Bureau of Statistics. And in 1975, so that's not many moons ago, in 1975, 15% of individuals who got married lived together prior. 15% of individuals who got married were living together before they got married. Today, today, you want to know what the statistic is? Today, it's almost 80% of all who get married were living together before they got married. Well, from 15% to 80%. Today, it's a, it's, a, it's a ridiculous idea to get married and for that to be your first intimate experience on your wedding night. That's a ridiculous idea. Who would even do such a thing? That's just where we are today. Sexual immorality has pervaded every aspect of our society. And I need to talk to you about the pornographic industry. Movies, books, music. Today, marriage is entertainment. Today, today, people turn on their televisions to watch reality TV shows based on marriage. It's like entertainment. This sacred, holy union has been denigrated and degraded to simple entertainment. And we don't have any problem with that. Sexual immorality and violence, they are twins that Hollywood feeds on in order to bring in billions and billions of dollars into its coffers. Billy Graham, the famous evangelist Billy Graham of the 20th century, he, he once exclaimed that if Jesus does not come soon, he will have to raise up Sodom and Gomorrah and apologize to them. We've gone that far. I believe we have gone well and truly beyond the days of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. I really do believe that. I really do believe that. We're living in a culture whose motto is here for a good time and not a long time. Nike. We live according to the motto of Nike. What's Nike's motto? Just do it. If it feels good, just do it. Don't worry about who's going to get hurt in the process because it's all about who? It's all about me, myself and I. 
This is the day of Noah and Lot. We have arrived. We are there. We arrived a little while ago. Isaiah chapter 22, verse 13 really describes our day. When back in the day, God was saying of his people, they were, their, their, their motto was, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Fascinating words, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. What did Jesus say? In the days of Noah, they were eating and what? And drinking. Until, that, until the day that Noah went into the ark and they did not know that, that their probation had closed. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. These words are so pertinent for us living in the 21st century. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe, woe, woe. God is warning us. God is pleading with us. God is saying, I love you too much not to share with you that if you continue down this road, you will go off the cliff and there's no coming back from this cliff. As goes the family, so goes society. That is why our society is in a mess today. And it's only by the grace of God, only by the restraining power of the Holy Spirit that our society is in the shape that it still is. It ought to be a whole heap worse based on what our children, and and, and I'm sad to say this, I really am sad to say this, but wherever you are watching this, most likely your children, if they're going to a public school, are being exposed to not God's ideal for relationships and intimacy, but the world's ideal. It's so sad. It's tragic. Notice these words from the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, verse 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness exalts a nation. Noah was a preacher of what? Righteousness. The Bible says Noah was a righteous man who preached the message of righteousness. A lot was a righteous man, the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 2. But today, righteousness has gone out the window. Today, righteousness is old-fashioned. I mean, judgment. Judgment? You're going to talk to me about judgment? That's, That's something that's in the dusty pages of those ancient scriptures that are no longer relevant and no longer speak to us living some 2,000 years later when it comes to the New Testament and further when it comes to the Old Testament. As goes the family, so goes society. Make no mistake about that. God has given us the Ten Commandments. He's given us His law of love. These ten principles are principles of love because God's foundation is His law of love. The universe only survives and thrives because of God's principles of love that are founded in His holy, eternal law. And God has given us the Ten Commandments in order to to protect us, in order to preserve us, in order to protect and preserve our most important relationships, that between our Creator God and that between one another. I find it fascinating 
that the commandment dealing specifically with marriage and family ties the relationship between God and our fellow man together. Have a look at Exodus chapter 24, verse 12. Exodus chapter 24, verse 12. The commandment reads, the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother that your days may be what? Long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. There's something fascinating that I had never picked up until my friend Rosemary, and I've got to give her credit, shared with me. This commandment is the foundation of the commandments that deal with our relationship with one another. The first four deal with our relationship with God. The next six deal with our relationships with one another. This is the very foundational commandment that deals with our relationship with one another. When marriage and the family is strong, the rest of our human relationships work well together. And Rosemary shared with me that this commandment, unlike any of the others, in the second tablet, dealing with our relationships with one another, has the words, Lord, your God in it. And it's true. The others don't have Lord, your God. The other, the other five from six to ten. And so as I was thinking about what Rosemary shared with me, I couldn't help but ask, could it be that marriage and the family is the hinge, the hinge between the two tablets of stone that God wrote with his very own finger on, could marriage and the family be the hinge that, that, that holds the rest of society together as well as encourages us toward God? Could marriage and the family be that hinge? And as marriage and the family goes, so does our relationships with one another so does our relationship with who? With God. Wow. What did God say? That your days may be what? Long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. I believe our days are truly numbered. Time is running out. We now live in what is termed as the sexual revolution. Or should I refer to it as the sexual devolution? That's where it's come from. It hasn't come from God. It hasn't come from God. God did not need to revise the original plan that he gave to Adam and Eve. God did not need to revise the original plan that he once again gave to Noah and his family. God did not need to revise the plan that Jesus set out 2,000 years ago that we read of in Matthew 19. God does not need a revolution. This has come from the devil himself, who once again, I repeat, his name is evil with a capital D. Every blessing that God gives to the human race, he seeks to dismantle. Let me share with you a startling conclusion by a historian who has now passed away almost a century ago. His name, if we can have his statement up on the screen, is Joseph Daniel Unwin. And he wrote a 600 plus page book entitled Sex and Culture back in 1934. And this is a summary statement of his conclusion as he studied 86 different cultures over 5,000 years. Okay, so this is, this is a monumental piece of history and research. 
Unwin found that when strict prenuptial chastity was abandoned within three generations, within three generations, the culture suffered self-destruction. Wow. Three generations. And for Unwin, a generation was 33 years. So that's about 100 years. And he's written that in 1934, well and truly before the sexual revolution came to town in the 1950s and 60s in particular. Three generations before it's all over for that particular society. We're not far off 2034, are we? We're not far off at all. The downward spiral of morality. Let me suggest to you, as I've been pondering the downward spiral of morality. Firstly, immoral acts are abhorred. Then they are tolerated. Then they are accepted. Then they are promoted. Then they are finally defended. That's a nutshell of the downward spiral of morality. We are now living in the day and age when immoral acts are no longer abhorred. They're certainly not any longer tolerated. They're not accepted. Well, they are accepted and they're promoted and now they're being defended. And dare you, dare you speak against immorality in today's day and age? Dare you speak against it? That's the times that you and I are living in. Back to that word corrupt in Genesis 6, 11 and 12. The Bible says the earth was also corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And then God goes on. And God said to Noah, and the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now, why have I highlighted the three words corrupt and the word destroy there? That word destroy appears again in verse 17. We're going to have a look at verse 17 where God says, and behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Why have I highlighted the words corrupt and the words destroy? The reason is those two words corrupt and destroy in the Hebrew are the exact same word. The exact same word. And so as I'm pondering this, I'm like, wow. Corruption indeed leads to destruction. Corruption leads to destruction. That's what Unwin shared with us. And that's what Arnold Toynbee, the famous historian who, who put an epic historical series entitled A Study of History. Why do they disintegrate and collapse? It was a 12 volume study. You got the dates up there from 1934 to 1961. He is Sir Arnold J. Toynbee. And one of his concluding statements on why do they disintegrate and collapse? Why do societies disintegrate and collapse? In five words, four words, I should say, lawlessness leads to what? Destruction. Lawlessness leads to destruction. Corruption leads to what? Destruction. God told us that in the story of Noah. 2,000 years ago, notice what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 12. He said, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. 
So here you have it. Cause and effect. When lawlessness abounds, love grows what? Cold. Do we have a pandemic of love growing cold in our world today? Genuine love. And the word there for love is not the feel good, you know, um, happy, clappy, you know, warm, fuzzy feeling kind of love that's based on emotion, that's based on feelings, that's based on, you know, how you're feeling today. The word there is agape, agape love. And what is agape love? Agape love is God's love, unconditional love. It's, it's, it's that faithful love. It's, it's that love that's, that's all about serving the other person, which is all about sacrificing for someone. Love. Take a look at that word corrupt again. Back to Andrew's study Bible. And here we take a look at social injustice. The term corrupt also is a reference to social injustice caused about by violence. Notice what the inspired author, once again, Ellen White, has to say as she gives some insights into the days of Noah. She writes, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. God had given man his commandments as a rule of life, but his law was transgressed, and every conceivable sin was the result. The wickedness of man was upon the dare, uh, was open and daring. Justice was trampled in the dust. And the cries of the oppressed reached unto heaven. So what was happening in the days of Noah? Justice was trampled in the dust. Are we living in a day and age where justice is trampled in the dust? Absolutely. Notice here in Ezekiel, now God God takes a look at the days of Sodom and Gomorrah and he compares them to what was happening in the days of his people, the days of Judah in particular. These are the days of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 16, verses 48 to 50, we read, As I live, says the Lord God, neither your sister Sodom nor her daughters have done as you and your daughters have done. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. So what was happening in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah? There was pride. There was an abundance. And yet there was poverty. Are we living in a world where we have an abundance in some places and poverty in others? Have you heard of... The 1% Club. If you haven't, let me remind you who they are. The 1% Club, the 1% in our world who own as much as 99% of the world's population. That's the 1% Club. Now, I am not part of that club. But living in Australia, I'm probably very close to it. Because I've been to the third world and I've seen what they have and what they don't have. Oxfam, a number of years ago, a couple of years ago, two or three years ago, I can't remember how many years ago it was, but they, they came up with an astounding, an astounding statistic that just blew me out of the water. And that was that 
eight individuals, eight individuals own as much as the 50% of the world's poorest. Let me repeat that. Some of you are shaking your heads and you're looking at me a bit like, what did you just say, Danny? Let me repeat. Eight individuals on the planet own as much as half the world's population or almost four billion people. We have never lived in a world like that. We are indeed living in a world where there is great social injustice. James chapter 5 verses 1 to 8 speaks on that regarding the economic exploitation that will be happening at the end of time. We don't have time to read those verses. You can do that in your own time. God warned his people Israel that when they, when they entered the promised land, they were to take care of the poor, the widows, the orphans, the marginalized, the helpless, the strangers who are the immigrants. Notice these words from Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 19 and 22. When you reap your harvest, God is speaking to his people, Israel, through Moses, who are, they are on the edge of the promised land. They're about to enter in after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. God is speaking to them and he says, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands, and you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. God says, Remember that you were a slave in Egypt. Remember that you were under oppression. Remember that you experienced abuse. Remember what that was like. When you go into the promised land, Make sure you do not follow in the footsteps of the Egyptians. Make sure you do not follow in the footsteps of the Canaanites. Because you too will end up back in exile. And guess what? One of the main reasons why the 10 tribes were taken by the Assyrians into exile and Judah was taken by the Babylonians into exile. One of the main reasons was the exploitation of the poor and the helpless and not fulfilling this promise that God made to them. Today, we're living in a day and age where these words need to be remembered by all. Proverbs 14, verse 31. I pray that these words will be remembered by all of us. He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who honors him has mercy on the needy. We need to look out for those who are most in need. We need to look out for those who are the helpless. And now I'm going to broach a subject that not many want to talk about today. And that is the subject of those who are the most helpless. And you know who the most helpless in our society are? It's the unborn, the unborn. I wish I didn't have to share with you the statistic of how bad it is. But in the previous 12 months, 40 million children were aborted. 40 million children were aborted around the world. That's horrific. That's horrific. Around the world, 
10 million people died of cancer. 15 million died of heart disease. Heart disease and cancer, 25 million. Unborn children, 40 million. So how do we, how do we deal with this? There may be someone, there may be someone who, who has experienced loss. There may be someone, as I've shared these statistics, who are saying, yes, I'm sadly one of those. I'm sadly one of those through whatever your circumstances may be that you chose an abortion. I want to encourage you with the words of Jesus to the woman who was caught in adultery. And he said to her, I haven't come to judge you. I've come to forgive you and to save you. So regardless of of how it came to be, I want to encourage you to turn to Jesus. He is filled with forgiveness. For Jesus said in John 3, verse 16 and 17, notice these words that Jesus said in John 3, 16 and 17. He said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not what? Perish, but have everlasting life. And notice verse 17. We don't often... Read verse 17, and we ought to memorize verse 17 as well. For God did not send his son into the world to do what? To condemn the world, but that the world through him might be what? Saved. So no matter what our situation, no matter matter what we are involved in now or not involved in, regardless, Jesus has his arms outstretched wide. Those nail-scarred hands are outstretched wide. And he's saying to you, he's saying to me, he's saying to all of us, if you've got an issue with a sexual issue, come to me. If you have an issue with violence, come to me. If you have an issue with pride, come to me. If you have an, an issue with racism, come to me. If you have an issue with whatever it is, you fill in the blanks, come to me. I will receive you as you are and then I will restore you into my image more and more day by day. Amen. That's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that we can come to Jesus as we are broken and battered and bruised. We can come as sinners deep in our sins for Jesus Christ said, I have come to seek and to save those who are what? Lost. Those who are well do not need a doctor, a physician, but those who are what? A sick. Jesus is the divine physician. And so Jesus says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you. Come as you are. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus not only receives us as we are, and if you're not sure about that, go ahead and read the story of the prodigal son again. You come as you are stinking and smelling of your sin. And Jesus then, like in the story of the prodigal son, he doesn't leave you as you are. He then begins through the power of his Holy Spirit day by day to transform you more and more into his image as to what he wants you to be. Because God created you. He created me. He created all of us in his what? In his image. God created us in His image. God created us to thrive. 
not just to be alive, but to thrive. He created us to enjoy life to the full. And so he wants to to help us move away from the net, from from the ball and chain that the enemy has placed around us. And he alone can do it. He alone can do it. So how should God's end time Noah generation respond? Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. I love this scripture and it's such a challenge to me each and every time I read it. God speaking here, he says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what is good? He goes on. And what does the Lord require of you but to do what? To do justly, to love what? Mercy and to walk what? Humbly with your God. There's that word again. Walk. Walk with your God. Who walked with God? Noah. The Bible says Noah walked with God. And you are right. Enoch also walked with God. He was the first one, according to Scripture, that walked with God. And we know in Revelation 14, verses 4 and 5, that God's end time people, those who are sealed, those that are shut in by God's grace at the end of time, will also walk with God because the Bible says in Revelation 14, verses 4 and 5, that they follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Walk with God. Walk with God. So what about the Sabbath blessing? What about the Sabbath blessing? We've looked at God's original plan for the animal kingdom and all of nature for marriage and the family. But what about the seventh day Sabbath blessing? Well, that is a subject that deserves to be dealt with on its own. And so in our next message, we're going to take a look at the Sabbath blessing from creation through to the flood through to our time, through to eternity. So you don't want to miss that. You don't want to miss that. That's in our next message when we take a look at the Sabbath. But for now, how then shall we live as we prepare for the soon return of Jesus? How then shall we live? How then shall we live? I can't think of better words as a final scripture than the words of the Apostle Paul, as he speaks to those that will especially be living at the close of time. These words are for all, in all generations, but especially relevant for those that are living in a time when time is indeed running what? Running out. Notice these words. Romans chapter 13, verses 11 to 14. I love these words. He writes, and do this, Knowing the time that now it is what? High time to do what? To awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. I just want to pause there for a moment. Based on what we have discovered in this message, is our salvation today nearer than when we first believed? Indeed it is. Indeed it is. Jesus is coming soon. I can almost hear the sound of the trumpet. I can, I can, I, I, I can almost hear the angels practicing their harps. I can almost see the, the preparations being made 
for the greatest entrance in human history that Jesus will bring in. We are there. We are there. Our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. We continue to reading. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly. There's that word walk again. As in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. But instead, let us put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. What a challenge. What an invitation. Let us, by the grace of God, put off strife and lust and the things of this world and let us put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Is that your decision? Jesus is inviting you. He's inviting me to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And if there was something that we desperately needed today, it is to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back soon. He really is, my friends. He really, really is. I'm convinced with all of my heart that Jesus coming is even at the door, even at the door. And he wants you and I to be part of those that will look up and say, behold, this is our God. We have daily by his grace put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has now come to save us. I want to be part of that group that hears the words of Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Do you want to join me? Do you want to join me on that day? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for the promises of your word. We want to thank you that you are coming back soon. Oh, Father, please, please daily encourage us, impress us through your Holy Spirit, Father, that we may daily put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. For we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody say, Amen. Listening to Focus on God's Word with Pastor Danny Milankov, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. If you have any comments or questions, send an email to radio at 3ABN Australia.org.au.